0: Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing.
1: Enjoy. Smug, confident, secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? You seen the demons that surge through the corridors of the crazed mind. Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Letter to you!
0: Okie dokie folks, I'm Frank Bonacci and I'm the scum of the earth. So I'm in this budget motel in Marina Del Rey, right? The lady I'm staying with, with whom I've endured a, uh, let's just say, tortured courtship with over the past year. The year is 2009, by the way. We were probably out the night before saying stuff like, Avatar was great and I hope Steve Jobs never dies. Anyway, the lady I'm staying with finally wakes up first move was to crack the warm tall boy in the nightstand next to her and pound it in one go- Classy. And a thought occurs to me. Well, two thoughts. The first thought is, in this moment, she looks like Popeye. Chronic alcoholism has a, a way of contorting the face. And that's my next thought. It finally hits me. Oh, wait a second. This girl's an alcoholic. That's why. It, it's this Kobayashi moment for me. Uh, And it really contextualizes the nightmare of the previous year. The most notable event of that trip is when she threw a loud drunken tantrum in the middle of Pink's. The hot dog place. Overrated. Just going to say it. The thing is about dating an alcoholic is just that you're always on alert. Just standing ready for the thing that sets her off. And it's not necessarily ever a big thing. Like in this particular instance, the thing that had every person in the place staring at both of us, thinking maybe I should call the police, was they were out of straws. This kind of scene was a nightly occurrence for our leap long vacation. This is the longest we'd ever spent together. And it was the last time we'd ever spent this kind of time together. Well, we did see where the wild things are, which I remember was kind of okay. I can't remember. Suffice to say, I didn't have that much fun my first time in LA. But the second time was a lot more fun. It was 2019, a full 10 years later. Drunky, drunk person was long out of the picture and I was now happily married. I was there for the AFM. Why am I doing the noir voice guy? The American Film Market, I'm just gonna keep going with it. The American Film Market, trying to sell my self-financed feature, Welcome to the Future. That film is now available for free on YouTube, so that's how that one worked out. But it didn't matter, because that week I met the legend. A man only spoken of in hushed reverential whispers among our mutual friends. A man who came out to LA with only a switchblade and some dreams, and made Hollywood his bitch. Not sure about the switchblade, but hey. Ladies and gentlemen, you get wise. You go to church. Writer, director, producer, and actor, Mr. Thomas Churchill, folks. Thank you so much for coming on, sir.
1: Hey, man, that's, that was a great intro. But you know, <laughs> you did sound like. Thank you very much, Frank. It's great to be on your show. But I do want to say, I don't know what you said. You sounded like Mauv to me. You sounded like Hart Bonchner, Ellis from Die Hard.
0: Oh my God, Hans Booby, I'm your <laughs> white knight. That's right. <laughs> that guy is iconic. Like, he has two scenes. He's the perfect 80s. Like, what you think of when you think of an 80s coke-headed suit, that's
1: who he is. He did it to a T, that actor. Brilliant. I got to see what else. While I'm talking to you, I want to see what else he does. Uh, oh, he was on The Ellen Show for uh, one episode. Forty Winks, he was the narrator. Rules Don't Apply, he was Colonel Willis. Carrie, he was in the remake of Carry. Carrie. Un, un, uncredited as Mr. Uh, Hoggison. He Man, I would
0: love Hulk an Ellis. Spread. I would like an Ellis prequel. Because I want to know everything that led to that night. Like his climb to the top that was eventually yeah. shut down yeah. by the You got to go
1: back years prior to see when he first got hooked on Coke. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably
0: like children of like hippies. Yeah, because he came and he out he of the out commune. With, and and then he hung set. out with
1: Marty, uh, Marty McFly's uh, uh, sister. Because he was also in Dion. Wasn't she uh, Wendy Jo Sperber? Yeah, I don't think she's in Die Hard. Wendy Jo I think Sperber.
0: She, uh, check it out. But I don't remember her being there. Now this is this is exactly why I wanted to have you on because we've we have mutual friends, uh, the Mister Carmine Tamigleri, who we've known for years, and we've you know we've never bumped into each other. So my time in L.A. was the first time I got to meet you, and I said oh, this guy's a nerd. And I mean that as high praise, sir. Like, you are a genre encyclopedia. And, like, the fact that you just, in two seconds, you pull out the actor who... <laughs> and you had to Google. You had to Google the actor who played Ellis and Wendy Jo Sperber. And it's like, yeah, this is the kind of conversations I like to have.
1: Well, Wendy Jo Sperber... Uh, uh, passed away. Yeah, she died in uh, 2005. So if you could have actually... Um maybe she was hang on hang on i'm going back to the future the great line that was so stupid grandpa hit him with the car i know she was in 1941 which is underrated great we've talked oh, about this yeah uh she was in greece as a dancer
0: really her best role though is in moving violations if you remember oh, that course. where fred willard she confuses him for a doctor so mm-hmm. she <laughs> where he's actually a mechanic <laughs> so she drinks pod? a it's quart it. or yes she does she is i think She's she grabs good. the does she grab the dick rick the dick's yeah. dick yeah. yeah she grabs rick the nick. dick's dick
1: nick. nick's the dick nick, nick the, the dick.
0: dick do we call you nick or mr dick
1: <laughs> i love the sound of i'd love to know who is this the foley guy when when he pulled it out <laughs> and went into it Cause it was so cool. It was just like, yeah,
0: it was a hard slap. It was like, Oh wow. That's And it's I like, yeah, right. Like there's use. discussions about that. Like you work in the business. Like what, what does a dick sound like? I have a few ideas for you. I want to put past you.
1: <laughs> Could be a bag of flour.
0: They need uh, some tackiness to it. Maybe wet the bag a little bit.
1: Well, a well, 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 uh, nice little, uh, you know, arm of Genoa salami. Just drop it. <laughs> yes. Because you still got the little netting around the Genoa a little salami. little netting, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So awesome.
0: I don't know your origin story. You've produced a bunch of films, directed a bunch, and you've appeared in a bunch of movies. That I've seen and I'm a fan. That's the thing. I knew about you before I knew you knew Carmine because I'd seen, you know, I'd seen some of your stuff because you came from Queens,
1: if I'm not mistaken. I, I, uh, you're a Queens boy. I am a Queens boy. I was actually born in Bushwick, uh, Brooklyn. Oh, oh, you're from Brooklyn. Oh. Born in Bushwick, Brooklyn, Nickabaca in Himrod Street, to great parents. Uh, my father worked for the city. He was a sanitation worker and my mom was a, uh, it wasn't really a school teacher because she worked with the uh, in the Board of Ed as like with uh, special need kids. So she was considered a teacher's aide, so they, back in those days they were called paraprofessionals. I was one of four children. Uh, I was the baby. I have older sister, two older brothers. None of them are in the business. Uh, my parents are both no longer here, but they were my they're still my uh, my biggest cheerleaders because I still feel them. And uh, my father was the first one who ever introduced me to the art of film. Um, He was not in the business, but he was the one that always told me as a child, you know, listen to his voice. Do you recognize it? This is this person. Do you know this? You know, so he always he showed me very early what an actor is. Like, for example, uh, when I first saw Conan the Barbarian, he introduced me to who James Earl Jones was. He says he listen. He says listen to this guy's voice. He goes, "Do you know who that is?" And I'm a listener. And then I said, "That sounds like Darth Vader." He goes, "Exactly." So he showed me what actors were greatest thing. My dad ever did was he would take me to movies. You know, when my mom was like uh, cleaning the house or Sunday dinners. You know, uh, I, I was brought up Italian. Uh, my mom was Sicilian and my father was English and Irish, but it was mainly Italian in the house. Yeah. Uh, so my dad, they, they win. Make, like I yeah. have a few
0: friends of mix. It's just the Italians just, they, it. they, just like they did with American culture. They just basically get their greasy their greasy fingers. Into everything.
1: It's true. Uh, I mean, the, 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 funny thing is, I mean, there's not so much, uh, Irish food you can make. I mean, but she, she pleased us. My, she did well. My, my that corned uh, beef and cabbage. Once a freaking year. Uh, uh, So my father used to take me to the parks and uh, Central Park Zoo and and uh, movies to get out of the house. And uh, during the movies, he would, you know, cover my eyes uh, during like gruesome scenes like he would take me to action films, horror films, you know, Disney movies. My father, my father would, that, that's what he liked, so he would take you. You know, of course, he'll take me to a Disney cartoon if I really wanted to see it, but he introduced me to the world of cinema at an early age. And, but he would cover my eyes on, like, the violence or the nudity. But my ears would be, like, magnifying, you know, uh, in my brain of hearing what I'm hearing, like, a hundred times, and I'm getting scared shitless uh, of what I'm hearing. And it may not even be a horror movie, but that's... What I feel introduced me to the world of horror was getting afraid of, see, of not seeing what you're hearing and then being curious later on. With actors, uh, my first person that I ever met as a child, my father pointed him out, was uh, Fred Williamson, Fred Hammer Williamson. Wow. He pointed him out. We were in the Central Park Zoo and uh my father pointed him out he said see that guy right there that's a movie star now this is of course before cell phones and 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 you know tmz and you know if you saw a celebrity in new york it's a big deal you know so i let go of my dad's head and i beelined over to fred and i grabbed him by his elbow and i said how you doing mr williamson i want to be a movie maker like i want to be an actor just like you and he said little man he goes where's, where's your folks you know and then my father came walking over they spoke for maybe 10 i don't know 10 minutes i already did what i needed to do at 70 years old so now i'm looking at the seals so you know what's funny is this little story has a big significant plot
0: i know where you're going with this but that was gonna be my question
1: so my father's name was charles Mm -hmm. and uh when i was writing fast forward when i was writing the movie checkpoint checkpoint Yes. Well, well, actually, there's a little entry before Checkpoint. We were doing a convention together, uh, but we knew of each other from reading the bill of who's at the convention, but right. we didn't know each other. So I I got stuck in a green room with him. It was just him and I, and I didn't want to say anything because that's my childhood standing there. So I actually walked over and he, he looked at me and goes, what's up, dog hammer? And I said, yes, we actually met like 30 years ago. And he says, what? And I brought him back, Frank, to that day in the park. And I saw it in this man's eyes that he remembered who I was. Because he said, I remember that kid. You were with your your dad. And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh my God. I remember. I remember. And I saw it in his eyes that this guy was telling me the truth. Wow. Um, So then, fast forward, I'm writing Checkpoint. Basically, uh, I was tired of hearing I'm just a horror guy. I'm just a horror. So I wrote checkpoint because i was like wait my first movie my first five neighborhood films as i call them out of the gate were pretty much action films i did maybe one horror film when i was a kid and uh and then all of a sudden i got stuck as the horror guy and which is not a bad thing but i just i'm a filmmaker i'm a i'm an entertainer i'm a storyteller i can tell any story yeah but i just didn't want to get stuck early in my career just doing one genre and not being able to branch off to do whatever uh for example the dude that what was his name that did uh all the airplane movies what was zucker that? brothers yeah and then when he turned around to do Ghost, ghosts people, right oh what is it a comedy let's go check it out and then they were blown away by the man's talent in and- fairness that like
0: you know, I was a big Zucker Brothers fan as a kid, yeah. and I was kind of un- not understanding what I was. Because see- you don't understand. Like, that guy does that. Right. And, and, like, and then you see Ghost, and you're like, where is where's Leslie Nielsen? I don't care. Yeah, get yeah. It. What's going to happen? They're playing it drier than usual in this one. <laughs> right. uh-huh.
1: So when I was writing Checkpoint, I wrote it with my father's memory, because uh, my father just passed. And oh. uh, he was in the service. Um, and I wanted to do something for our servicemen, because those are the real heroes in my eye. Uh, you know, I mean, Marvel, Marvel's comic books, but the real heroes are the people that wear uniforms. So I wrote a character named Chester. Chester also means Charles. And the only person that I ever wanted to play Chester was Fred. So when I called him up, he was absolutely the first person I casted. That's and- so
0: awesome. I mean, that's great, because I was thinking, as soon as you started telling the story, I'm like, Wait, he's in Checkpoint. So that's so great. You got to have like a childhood hero show up.
1: And and uh, one of my first Hollywood premieres that I had out here was about a year ago. I mean, I've done a lot of movies, but I had one premiere that I for, for one of our films um, out here. And uh, I called him up. I asked him if he wanted to come. And he, you know, he lives far away from me, but he he showed up. He showed up and, uh, you know, gave me a hug and all. And uh, I'm actually just finished a new script that I'm hoping to get shot starting to shoot in uh, January, February. And uh, I got I got something that I mentioned to him already that I want him to be in. And he was like, love the concept. Uh, So I just literally finished the script yesterday and uh I'm gonna be sending it out um to him in the next day or so to get his take on it. It's kind of a he's uh really well. I mean he's he's no spring chicken, but he's still
0: in he could probably kick both our asses. He's in our his 80s at this point. Bro, and he's, pretty, he's a uh, specimen. That's it. You know, he's a super bowl champ too. Right. So that yeah, he's I was like, cause it'd been a while since I'd seen him in anything until I saw him in
1: checkpoint. I'm like, holy shit. Like, well, he was in another movie recently called uh, VFW. If you haven't seen that, it's- Oh, good. right,
0: with uh, him and the guy from Avatar.
1: And uh, and uh, Martin Cove is in it as well. Martin Cove, right. And there was somebody else that was in it. I think the, maybe Danny Trail for maybe a minute, but it's pretty cool. It's kind of like uh, a different spin on the story of a assault on Precinct 13, but only it's assault on the VFW post, hmm. and it's pretty cool.
0: Where did – because I saw – I don't know where I saw this picture. Either Carmine showed it to me or you showed it to me when I was out there. It's a picture of you like as a teenager and you have this – huge awesome poster of the great canon film i think it's canon uh angel behind you and where did that love of that kind of film like hit you because it's like wow that's a you're a genre fan like especially if you're like a teenager having that poster on your walls first of all it's like an awesome poster i just put the dvd
1: away i was just i just watched revisited the three films (laughs) Three angel movies. I, I, you know, what's great is I got to say that I'm also friends with Donna Welks, uh, Dawn Welks, that was Angel. Oh, that's uh, amazing. You know, she she's, uh, she's, she's pretty cool, and you know, she was also in Jaws 2 and a bunch of other films. Uh, but, um, my love for the genre, I, I guess, because growing up, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s, you know, I was it was getting, a time. <laughs> The 80s to me were uh the films there was nothing like it between the action films and the horror films I mean there was just there was cheese there was gore there was excitement and but it all got rolled into something pretty cool and growing up uh as a teenager in the 80s it struck a chord uh, You know, this is you had the machoism with, uh, you know, you had your Chuck Norris and your, your Clint Eastwood and your Charles Bronson and your Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And then Van Damme was kind of like outside that bubble, like wanted to be in, you know, but it was just, you, you know, you're either a Van Damme fan or whatever. And then towards the end of the 80s, then Steven Seagal came out. So he was kind of in that bubble because his movies, his first I want to say his first five movies are legendary. Anything after that, it is what it is. You could take that to the bank, Senator. The blood bank. Uh, dude, you know my great one of the greatest scenes in that movie. Uh, I think it's the same movie
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> It's the one where he's in a coma and still.
1: Oh uh well, I like the one from mark for Death when he's sitting there going. Oh well, that's amazing. He's looking this way in the car, and the guy says, "What happened? What happened to whoever?" He goes, "One of them thought he was invincible." The other one, but he could fly. <laughs> they were both wrong. They were both wrong. They were both wrong. But the greatest film of Steven Seagal, hands down, is Out for Justice. Anybody hey, see Richie? No way to Bobby Lupo. Hey, I'm going to keep coming back here to somebody remember seeing Richie. That and then such... I got to work with uh, William Forsythe. That's uh, right. In Checkpoint. No, in, in, in Checkpoint, yeah. Yep, yep. And the guy, there's a guy that jumps on the table and gets punched in the nuts, was a guy that worked with us as well. He was actually one of our producers on a few of our films. He was an actor in there. He was like Steven Seagal's assistant during those times.
0: Mm. Bobby Lupo. you got to also work with in that film, this is going to be a checkpoint love fest by the way that's okay
1: that's okay
0: you got to work with kane kane Hodder. who's love he's a great dude i got to work with him actually it was a shame because it was i worked with him and bill mosley on a half bill's a good dude and uh it was on the worst film i'd ever worked on it was like a nightmare film uh but they were such gentlemen you know he's also the stunt coordinator which i assume he was the stunt coordinator on your film so that's how he usually does things yeah
1: yeah so how checkpoint came about when i when I put the film together, all mine and myself were the producers on that film. So far, you've done a few films, but this is like a big jump in budget and scale for well, them. we yeah, I checkpoint was see when we were working with the executive producer, there was one executive producer that gave us a particular budget, and that's what kind of what we were thinking of and we were planning for. and then once we got on set. Uh, it became a different type of budget. It was just like, things were just thrown at us. And we were, put it this way, I have a script that I want to do about the making of Checkpoint. That I've is, heard some
0: fun stories, man, because Carmine, it, it you brought be, on our boy Carmine
1: as producer. Yeah, it would be... It would be uh, it you would really be a, pulled that uh, it, one out. <laughs> it would it, be something like Mesh, where, where <laughs> it, it's a comedy action film, you know? Um, but you know, checkpoint, I owe a lot to checkpoint. Um, there was a lot of things that helped my career with that film. And, then there was things that I, to this day, people always ask me about certain scenes and my, like the opening scene in the movie, uh, Uh, i i had nothing to do with it was a uh it was a an executive producer wanted to Um, uh, wanted to have this extra scene in the film and it just it is what it is is is. it's a fun watch
0: i i know you're a lot of checkpoints on
1: on 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 a hard drive still that uh Uh, i would love to maybe one day spit out a director's cut because there's so much of checkpoint that we shot that's not even in that movie
0: yeah because there's stuff that karma was telling me about uh because he was like he was like he would just like report to me because this is when we were working a lot on we had stuff we were working on so he'd always check in about our stuff and he's just telling me what's going on and it's just like oh that thing and when i finally saw checkpoint i'm like oh. What happened to that thing that he
1: told me about right. that he shot? And it was just like you know, so it kind of disappeared. Me and one of the me and one of the executive producers didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. So I I think this is going to be the first time I'm ever going to say this publicly. Uh, so I was kind of locked out of the editing uh, on that particular movie. So there was a, a lot of decisions that were made. Uh, that I had nothing to do with because he locked me out of the editing. So that's why if there's ever an opportunity down the road and I get a chance to revisit and do a director's cut, you will you will see pretty much a different type of film. Um, there'll be scenes in there that um, if they weren't in the script, they're not going to be in my film. So uh, it's not just going to be a little ad and stuff. I think the, the movie uh, told a good story of something that we wanted to tell. But I, I again... When you're, and this goes out there to anybody that's making movies and any executive producers that are listening to your show, is you can't lock out the creative guy because while they're out there shooting the film on any film, they already know what they're cutting in their head. They already know how they're going to piece one particular scene into another, how it's going to butt together, how it's going to tie in. Now, if you don't have that key element of that person inside your editing suite, it's just you're going by stuff that's written, and maybe stuff that was shot. But yet, there might be an image or two that was already shot extra to trans transition into a particular scene, or put put the scene up against something else to make it work better. So, if you completely lock the creative person out of a uh, an edit or the creative process you're probably not gonna get all the puzzles. It's kind of like taking a puzzle and you buy a puzzle, but before it gets back to your house, you know somebody reaches in and takes some of the pieces and just throws it away. So this way, when you get to the house, you're sitting there going, okay, uh, I'm missing this piece. That's the key. The piece that you're missing, the person knows. So always, no matter what uh, differences you have, Always put the project first, kind of the same way. If you think back to the movie Waterworld, you know, uh, Kevin Costner locked out Kevin Reynolds, the director, out of the edit. It's a shame
0: because they had such a good collaboration up to that point.
1: Yeah. Robin Hood was a great film. But then when, you know, I mean, egos and this and that, my I want more scene, blah, 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 whatever it was, whatever the difficulty was, what the differences was, they should have just put that together to the side. Focused on the product because the product has nothing to do with their egos. It has to do with money. It's a business. So you're you're, you're touching now the studio's money or an investor's money. So fix that. Do that. Work together. And then once it's done and you got everybody's name on the credit and all, walk away. Don't work with that person again, period. But, you know, when you watch Waterworld, you feel like there's stuff missing. Right. And it's like it just shows like, oh, there's Kevin Costner oh there's kevin costner peeing in a bottle oh there's kevin costner swimming there's Paper. Kevin, you know
0: yeah especially the budget level like most execs you know execs are just people with deep pockets who really just want to get into the film business who don't understand what it takes and again who somebody who was able to be privy to like a lot of the goings on a lot of the time you're at the mercy of circumstance and circumstances cost money. So they don't understand that. They just think you don't know what you're doing. It's like, listen, this is how it goes. Shit just happens. So eventually they just take that out on you. It's like, well, you're, you're the reason it rained that day and you couldn't get this stuff. So it's just like, they eventually, that's how communication on films I've been on. That's how communication breaks down. It's like they don't understand what it takes. They just got money and they just see the, you know, and they're never prepared for the actual cost of stuff.
1: Never. No. Well, well, here's the deal. Uh, we, we, yes, everything you said, but there's also, you know, with understanding real investors as opposed to somebody who just has extra money and want to spend money. Right. When somebody says, uh, oh, I got to get this package, uh, this proposal uh, to this investor, they don't care. They don't care about the script. A real investor does not care about the script, doesn't care about a package, doesn't give a fuck who's in it. They want to know three things. How much you need? When am I getting it back? How much am I making on it? That's it. That's a real investor. Wining and dining people to try to give you a few bucks if they didn't give it to you if they don't go for that bill when when you're going out to dinner and then all of a sudden they get t-rex arms where the check is there and they, their arms became this size and they can't oh i just
0: got to go to the bathroom
1: right that movie. they're not gonna pay for your movie They're not going to give you anything. Uh, It's just a circle jerk. They're trying to. They know you want their money, so they're going to turn around and 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 extend it as long as possible. The process before they say no. So, to me, uh, if a person is going to give you a check, they're going to cut you a check. They're going to ask you those three things. That's it. When it comes to people that have money and want to be an actor, uh, that's the mentality you're going to see most investors that want to be in movies want to be in movies. So they're going to cut you a check, but they're also going to be an actor. They're going to want a good scene so
0: all they, of a sudden they have a vision they right. have a vision it's like right. they,
1: they, <laughs> they've seen enough movies they know how things run yeah. but you know not all of them i i came across of course you that are that are really really respectful and just love the experience of being opposite a certain star or whatever i had a uh i had a i used to went out to dinner breakfast with a a, a star a legend that i worked with uh Um, on a film and we would meet for breakfast or lunch a couple times Uh, and we talked about bruce willis and him and bruce willis are very close and i uh i said wow i love bruce willis i said but it seems like the last 15 20 movies he's making it's just like he's phoning it in you know he's just yes so i said what what's that and they said tommy Brucey will give you the shirt off his back. Bruce will sit there and listen to you pitch and get excited with you and get uh, get into it and bring up ideas. And, and and you guys will talk about, you know, whatever the budget is, yada, yada, yada. If he comes on set and none of that is there, except for now he's acting against an investor or the investor's daughter or the investor's friend or just extra people that don't... Uh, don't normally act, but they're in the scene with him. Of course, because you bamboozled him. So of course he's going to be the same attitude. He's going to have, he just look like he phoned it in. Well, it's and-
0: transactional at that point. It's just like, well, there are metrics that state, this is the amount of value I will bring to overseas sales. So I'm going to fulfill that obligation. Right. And that's it. What about what do you want? What do you want? Right. Uh, this is all it is. I mean, it's like, this is all it is to you. Why should it be
1: any more for me? right so uh, pay me my money i'll show up i'll say my lines and i'll go home that's Mm -hmm. it uh and then there's other actors that were in billion dollar movies then all of a sudden you're like wow this guy just made five movies this last tuesday and he's in every movie that's coming out what what the hell's going on those are the people i understand also that they're used to a lifestyle so if the studio's not giving it to them anymore they're going to take whatever it is that they need to pay their bills. So if it's 12 movies before Sunday, they're going to do 12 movies before Sunday. They may not be good movies, but they're going to make sure that their bills are paid. But meanwhile, the audience- everybody has a nut like, you know, that's yeah. the thing. Everybody has a nut and they everybody seems to like have this
0: understand, like their understanding of how like home finances work seems to like go out the window when you talk about like oh, Bruce Willis, He don't need the money. Everybody needs the money. It's like, he right. has a billion dollar house. He has this it's like, right. And those, they have bills and to they maintain can... that lifestyle. Yeah. It's the same as you. I mean, it's right. just on a bigger scale, but it's the same right. thing that you're dealing with, but they have to pay a bill too.
1: Exactly. But yeah, I mean, so with Checkpoint, I've done uh, a bunch of indie films, small films. And then when that movie came up, it was uh, an idea to put to mix some horror people with. That's why if you watch that movie closely, um, it's my first movie being out of the horror genre. But I also didn't want to let the fans know that, you know, hey, I'm done with you because I wasn't. That's why I had Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries, Kane Hodder, Tyler Main, um, you know, I had I had a few other little pop ups here and there, but but it's just the point is, you mixed, you wanted to do stuff that you add a little bit old, bring a little bit new, something blue, whatever it you something know
0: that. Barred, something blue, yeah, there
1: you go. But Stephen, that was the fourth film I've done with him, and uh, and I think that was. Uh, I haven't worked with them since, but we've done uh Merging Past. We did uh the vampire movie that I shot in Pennsylvania. Uh we did uh lazarus which became the day of the living dead and we did checkpoint
0: so when when does your career start in earnest like what's your first project you ever work on made my first movie at 17.
1: Um, yeah you started (laughs) young
0: because i never understood the timeline i'm just like how because you're not much older than me if you are if you if you are the same age as me so i'm just like wait a second I so, see dates uh, going back all the way to the nineties. It's like well, I was a fucking teenager at this point. So this guy can't be that far yeah. off.
1: I made my first movie at 17. I was in high school. A movie oh, that's called awesome. The Warmaster. So what's funny is I was an actor. I started off as an actor. You know, I loved I love acting, but you know, it's funny. It's after 17, I, I became more of, you know, I like it, but I like this better. So I was in the top five for a movie called The Champ. They were looking for a character called Dandy, which was kind of like donde esque. Dandy used to be a comic strip back back east. My mother and father thought I looked exactly like him. Which, if you go to my website, churchhillproductions dot com, and you'll see that newspaper clipping, and you'll see Dandy, uh, you'll see me that looks like Dandy. I am first person online. Top five, first guy out of the five that was uh ready to, you know, they like. Then they hired John Voigt and mm-hmm. Dante's out the window now because now they need someone that's blonde hair, blue eyes. So in came Rick Schroeder. So I, I appeared in a few music videos. I remember uh, this movie, by the way. I'm like struggling. I'm like, this is a movie that came out. Yeah, the the Champ, John Voight, Rick. Oh, Schroeder. it's a
0: remake of the Champ. Yeah, oh, the, Cham- the champ. champ. Oh, like the Champ.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that came out in seventy uh, seven. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so seventy seven. Oh, I that re- oh the oh my god, yeah. So, okay. so
0: that's how I didn't realize how far
1: Sunday back Sunday paper, going. Sunday paper. I was you know right there, big picture of me and all, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So from there, I I had the acting bug, and uh, I I popped up in a movie called Heart uh, with Brad D- uh, Davis. Uh, I was in the fighting scene, boxing sequence in the background. I was in a couple other little music videos, a group called Touch Without You, which was a big song in 87. Uh, And then it was around, I did a couple plays. Uh, I did a Christmas play and I was part of this New York uh, showcase company because I really wanted to perfect the acting. But I convinced my dad to buy me a video camera. And at the time, they were expensive as fuck and And uh, heavy as fuck oh yeah it was full-size vhs yeah uh and he bought it in sears you know that was a portable television studio uh that was what they had uh in sears because we it wasn't like today where hey i want some editing equipment let me go online and get it you know i mean it was unheard of there was no prosumer as they called it, prosumer things out there except for rca made this camera they called it prosumer it was vhs full-size vhs with glorious color and uh i made my first movie called the war master which uh is about teenage cops i did this a year before freaking 21 jump street came out and i did uh I mainly did it to showcase my acting. I acted, I directed, I wrote, I produced, I uh, helped out do, and I did the editing and everything else. What did you edit on? Like, did
0: you edit like tape to tape? Like, what did you even edit on?
1: You did tape two to tape. VCRs, two
0: VCRs. Wow, that's old wires, school, man.
1: Wires going out to the stereo with the stereo track ready to hit it you know, to try to get the music behind the dialogue because I couldn't break it apart. I didn't have that technology. So it was tape to tape, the audio tape, you know, sound effects were on another tape. I actually even had my, uh, at the time, I think I had my Walkman was also part to have it queued up on one particular sound of a gunshot or whatever it was. And that's how, so the movie's done. I'm in high school and everybody comes up to me and says, hey, did you see what's in the newspaper? And yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's talking about Young Filmmakers Film Festival. I don't know what the film festival is. But <laughs> is it like bizarre? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Never heard of it. About 10 different people showed me the same article. So I was like, all right, is a sign. Now, is the so, Warmaster a feature? or is It, yeah, uh... it was uh, considered a feature, but I think it was 59 or 60 minutes.
0: Eh, but close it, enough. Most shot on video, like uh, films from that era, basically features in quote in finger quotes because. But they're unwatchable.
1: I mean, they're unwatchable when you watch. Oh, I
0: beg to differ.
1: (laughs) I'm a big fan. But but you know what's funny is people that watched my film. Now again, I never was schooled on a lot of things. Goes back to that was in '87. Go back to 1985. My sister goes through something personal. And she decides, you know, she's uh, eight years older than me. And she convinces my dad and my mom that, hey, I'm going to go to California for a week. I'd like to take Tom. I'm 15. So my parents said, OK. So my, my parents paid for the trip and everything else. And we go to California, me and my sister. This is before, you know, GPS, phones, any of that crap. We get in the car. I start telling her where to drive. And she's looking at me what are you talking about? So she goes, pull out the map. I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you where the hotel is. Just go straight, make a left on this, take this freeway. And she's looking at me like I'm nuts. Every time I said that to her, that's where we were. I felt like I was home when I was in first time visiting Hollywood in 1985. It was dirty, but I didn't see the dirt. I That was so New York. <laughs> but I'm just saying every place we went, I felt like I belonged and i felt like didn't go to school for it self-taught you know i mean i've done schooling on certain things afterwards but at uh, my first film at 17 nobody showed me anything did everything learned stereo did the sound did this the editing you know i mean if you watch it it might be a little bit of a oh, oh look there's a chroma key i could have got rid of but you that, know
0: it, it's dude you're 17 like that's the thing where to put the i camera. i was the kid who wanted to talk who talked all the shit i'm gonna make a movie i just didn't have the ball i i didn't make my first feature till i was 36 because i just didn't have the honestly i didn't have the chutzpah to (laughs) to go out and do it like you guys did i just was always afraid to do it and like i love when people do that like make their first film at teenagers and they're the most fun because all you see in those films and this is why you said they're unwatchable this is why i tried had to get different the enthusiasm comes through and that's what i
1: love seeing more than anything well yes the enthusiasm on whoever directed it whoever was the uh like me i directed it so i was my own camera guy i was setting up oh, but if so you awesome. watch anybody else's film that they're, they're just acting and maybe you never saw that director or they had their cousin holding the camera there's some things that are unwatchable. It's like, oh, oh, my God, I feel like I'm watching a play. Why don't we go in for a closer shot? Why don't we see, you know, the camera's just there and it's, uh, that's it. So what I did with mine, because I didn't know anything about lenses or anything like that, I was using the lens that came with the camera. Right. If I wanted a close-up. I'm getting as close as I want, hitting my macro button to get it <laughs> perfect. You know, and I'm making sure this person's there and that person and asking this if I can use that. And can I shoot in this bar? Can I shoot in this? Everything was for nothing. Ask the police department. Hey, can I borrow one of your cars? Can you just come right by and, and talk to the actor? I want. Sure. No way. That was so cool. cool. Uh, so I
0: need to see this, by the way. Like, please, if there's oh, any uh, copy, you need to send this to me.
1: Well, here's the thing. So I made five of these movies. I made uh, uh, the Warmaster Intrigue Warmaster 2, Warmaster 3, which is horrible. I won't show that to nobody. The Emerging Past, first version, and The Fear of Pain.
0: Yeah, I I was going to ask you about Emerging Past because there's two entries for it that I keep seeing.
1: Well, Emerging Past, yeah, well, there's two entries as an adult, but technically there's three. Uh, So I made these five movies. I called them, uh, and then I did a movie called A Distant Society, which was, I never released it. It was just a test for me to see if I could do this big drama that I want to do. And that's still on my board to revisit because that's where I feel like it would be Oscar calibrated, you know, type of film. So I'm, I'm tweaking my script on that. But those movies that I made as a kid, I called them the neighborhood films that was my college that was my education that was my what to do how to do it don't do don't cross the line watch this don't do that i you know all that fun stuff that they would teach you and then i took a couple classes after that i did the uh, whole uh, hollywood film school dove ss simmons uh who taught everybody you know robert Rodriguez, quentin tarantino spike lee all that stuff and i took his class in nyu and everything he was teaching me i did one of these and and i kid you not frank i went hmm, i did that already oh is that the name of it? Wow. i believe
0: that the best way to learn filmmaking is by doing
1: so you know i mean then then i did my uh i come out i, I do a few things i did a few little projects for other people and then i decided to move out here hmm. 2009 Um, I actually, in June of 2009, I shot a, I got hired from people that never worked with before. They heard of me. They wanted me. They asked me to come out. I produced and directed a spec pilot, which is on my website, never got sold. And that executive producer asked me what was next. And I said, Oh, I got this little movie I'm looking to do. And he's like, let's do it. And I looked at him. I said, what? The last day I was there, he extends his hand over the table and, We became friends. I mean, I'm still friends with him to this day. And next thing I know, November of uh, 2009, I'm in New York shooting The Emerging Past. I finished filming right before, like it would be like now, the day before Thanksgiving. He said, well, what's next? Uh, Where do you want to do post and I said, I don't know. I'm still uh, talking to some of my friends to see where we would do it. He says, well, why don't you come out to L.A. and do it? He goes, I'll pay for your trip. I'll pay for your move. You come out for the first year. I'll take care of everything. And I never left. So I that was, uh, you know, it came out here on the emerging past. We did one movie, the emerging past. And then there was so many hands in the cookie jar, in the edit. It was just ridiculous. Uh, And then finally, I said, hey, can I do a director's cut? Because I really feel like this movie is this movie. He allowed me, and uh, to me, the Emerging Past movie is the movie that came out in 2017, the director's cut. That's, to me, what I had to use and what I wanted to tell that film. After that, I produced a a movie in Pennsylvania, and then... uh, Then I came back out to L.A. Uh, I mean, I was always living out in L.A. And that was Day
0: of the Living Dead, just to clarify.
1: I came out here. No, the movie I did in Pennsylvania was was, uh, this vampire movie that had Stephen Jeffries in it. Mm. Uh, And then I came out here and then I did Day of the Living Dead again called Lazarus, Day of the Living Dead. And I wanted to do a love letter to George Romero because it's, it's a loose prequel to Night of the Living Dead. It's a letter to pretty much Hitchcock. And it's also a biblical film. I wanted to tell a zombie story in that way. People liked it. It won uh two awards at the New York Film Festival. Well, American oh. Past won a of awards too. Old version and director's cut. Uh you got
0: to double dip. Like <laughs> Yeah,
1: I did. Uh, you know, I was grateful. But uh it's, uh, you can't even hold it, you know, I mean, if you watch the original version versus the 2017, uh, 2017 version is just just fucking, I, I like the way that came out, and that was the original supposed to be, but again, when you got a lot of people in your cookie jar, and they don't know what creativity is, there's going to be mistakes, you're going to trip over stuff, and then when you're staying, don't do that, it's going to affect this, no, it won't. Don't do just, that. There's gotta, a lot
0: of notes. It's just like right. everybody's got. So it's just notes I, are
1: good. Well, if you're telling people when, when they conflict, right? But as a filmmaker, you know, getting started, you 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 kind of got your reins tight to people that's given you what your dream so you have to do certain things you can express certain things where again i don't mind notes i love notes because (laughs) there's sometimes where oh man wow that's good i you know what i didn't I didn't even expect that. Yeah, let's try this. It helps. But when you're determined about if you don't like a certain actor or well, that actor was nasty to you and the executive producer or whoever says, you know what? I didn't like that person. Let's cut them down to one line, whatever they said. Yeah, but it's hurting your movie. So just there's, there's examples like that all over the place. Uh, we produced another film, uh, the Stephen Jeffries vampire movie, and there was so many notes we gave that director and he took those notes and pretty much wiped his ass with it and so the movie is what the movie is and you know there's people out there that like it and most people i know can't stand it uh Uh, and uh i i'll be one of these people that say you know what i enjoyed making that film because we had a we had so much great material, and it just it was just going to be a, a good film. And well, sometimes uh, the right ingredients is never uh, never measures up to the expectations, and then you have what it is, and you have movies that you won't talk about, <laughs> and then there's movies that you really like that you you really were taught on, you like. Like, for example, Day of the Living Dead. I know a lot of people love it. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, it's it's got a pacing. It's a little slow, but it's supposed to be because it's an homage to the 50s. It's a 1957 story. So everything in that, I wanted it to feel like if Hitchcock did it. Or I'm not calling myself Hitchcock, but I just wanted a film to feel old, feel like you're watching an old film uh, so that was done on, on um, uh, as, as, as a creative uh, thing. Uh, it won two awards. It won best horror feature at the New York film festival. And it won best special effects uh, for Soda uh, who I worked with uh, numerous places. I met him, met Soda on uh, when I did the TV series uh, monster man. Um, oh, had, wow. you you worked on that. I was uh, featured on episode two. Oh, uh, wow. I'm it was a, a six episode six episode series about soda effects uh, with Cleve Hall and Roy and his wife, Cindy uh, kadiram And uh, at the time I was making a film called Hallow Point, which was a werewolf movie. And my episode is with uh, Richard Elfman. Uh, he was doing the Forbidden Zone 2 uh, project. And mine was uh, uh, about this werewolf movie that it never uh, came into fruition, but I ended up doing a werewolf movie anyway years later, uh, Amityville Moon. So, um, but I met Roy in special effects uh, almost 13 years ago. And then he's been my guy. I mean, I've I've worked with a few others, but Roy's been my guy, um, pretty much my go-to person. Did he work on Big Freaking Rat? No, no, oh. he didn't. So Roy, uh, we we had, uh, our paths went a different way because he was working on a bunch of things uh, with Blumhouse and all. And I ended up, uh, there was another effects guy I used on Amityville Moon. No, I'm sorry. Amityville Harvest, Big Freaking Rat, Step Daddy, Nation's Fire, Xenophobia. But uh, that was Joe Castro. My line producer uh, at the time was interviewing all the, everybody. And, uh, she decided, uh, she thought Roy's quotes were better. Um, asked me if I had any issues. I said, no, not at all. Cause I like I like them both. I worked with both of them. So I know that either way, whatever way the production would go and spend the money on the effects company. I knew that my, my, the work was going to be as good. So we went with Roy and soda and then we worked with him on, uh, so it was Amityville Moon, Amityville Uprising, Night Carnage, Devereaux. He also did my short film that we produced called Jack and Blue, which is also uh, being eligible for Oscars at this moment. I can tell you that, too. I heard uh, you're getting shortlisted, which is crazy. That's God massive. willing, God willing. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, yeah, Roy was the last uh, company we worked on, Devereaux. Uh Devereaux is uh, a voodoo horror film. So there's about five or six movies that I haven't came. Uh, haven't been out yet
0: yeah you've been you've been you're a machine right now like every time i talk to carmine it's like how's tom doing he's like he's got like eight new films he's working on right now it's ridiculous uh no, I'm grateful
1: I'm, i i feel oh, blessed i feel grateful thank you put you. all the work
0: man yeah, oh. you, you've been humping it for years it's good that you're getting you know it's feast or famine in this business so it's just when you get those gigs go for them. yeah
1: this last year i did a, we did a lot of writing and a lot of uh you know wanted to go in a different direction so this last 2022 planning and getting everything ready for the next slate of films uh my business partner uh alexander you met alex uh, yes i did yeah alex hunt um alexander zurich hunt who is my producing partner how is she Uh, doing i love her she's she's great she's great she's actually uh in her office uh in the other uh, part of the uh compound the (laughs) church uh (laughs) I get Caminucci's voice, so he's in the other area.
0: (laughs) My biggest regret at AFM was when I overslept and you were doing final mix on Big Freaking Rat, and I missed it. I woke up like I think you were doing it at like eleven. I didn't wake up till two, because I'm a I'm a I'm just a lowlife. I'm a scum of the earth. Uh, So well, that I was just like I was like, oh my god, I've missed it.
1: No, I mean, that movie, to me, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, it, it's it been released in Europe, and it did very, very well. Um, and it's supposed to be coming out soon, uh, from what I was told. But I know people found um, copies, DVDs, Blu-rays, on eBay. But it's under the title Big Bad Rat. And you can get, it's uh, from the German company that put it out. I mean, uh, Voltage, Voltage Pictures. Ah. They put it out in Europe. And uh, a couple of people I know uh, bought it on eBay. And uh, I said, what do you mean? Like bootleg? He says, no, it's actual real movie. And, and showed me the cover and everything else. And I said, oh, interesting. It's called Big Bad Rat. Uh, but you got to, you know, you'll have like the German subtitles on it. Uh, and you can watch it in English.
0: Yeah, freaking freaking might have a different connotation in German. It sounds like a German word that could mean something like delicious soup or something. Freaking?
1: Oh, I have a pot of freaking tonight? We Uh, have freaking every night. It was, you know, with Big Freaking Rat, it was a a love letter to the 80s. It's a creature feature. It doesn't take itself serious, but it is a serious film. To me, how I always explain it to people, it's Friday the 13th meets Jaws with a rat. That's what it is.
0: It 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 is when you actually put it that way. Yeah, it kind of does feel like a synthesis of those two movies.
1: It's it's exactly what it is. When I when I went to uh, when I was writing the script, I wanted to do an homage to Jaws, and I wanted to do an homage to Friday the Thirteenth, but I wanted something different. So, hence the rat you know i was asked would i do uh another one and i said well i got i got i got a couple ideas but i don't know if i would visit a rat again it might be (laughs) it might be a big freaking something you know because i like that i like using that in the title what's your favorite thing because you write direct act
0: edit What's your favorite? I don't
1: really edit. I mean, I've done it in the past. I learned that uh, when I did the movie Devoured, which was funny. uh, So I did Devoured, A System Devoured became Devoured, but A System Devoured was a remake of The Warmaster. Uh, Oh. So The Warmaster won me best. uh, It was my first film festival I ever won. And then Intrigue, Warmaster 2, I won again. And then I wasn't eligible anymore for the other film festivals. So then when I did A System Devoured, I won the New York Film Festival, uh, which was owned, a little trivia, uh, from the guy who runs ITN, uh, Stuart Olson. Oh, wow. That's how long I know him. Um, and uh, in fact, this last AFM, I, when I we were talking, I brought up the film festival and I brought up, my film and he goes I remember that title and I said yeah we had you had the premiere at Le Barbat and, and he goes oh shit I remember that so that was a remake of a remake devoured was just a re-edit of that the reason why I'm saying this is because I am currently in the midst of finishing up a script called Chinatown to Chinatown which is a remake and a reboot revisit whatever you want to call it of the movies I made when I was a kid And oh, that's so be- cool there's going to be scenes of things that I did as a kid in this movie <laughs> uh, because I own all the raw footage of everything. So that's already been digitized, and we're hoping to get into production with that sometime next year. But it all has to do with the weight loss thing because I I promised myself I would not get in front of a camera again to play this character that I played five times Unless I was at the weight I truly want. So I've been I've been on a mission to lose weight. It's been taking longer because of stress and shit like that. But just get uh, diabetes like me. It comes right yeah. off.
0: It flies right off you. <laughs> I always ask this of filmmakers if budget wasn't like what's your dream project? Uh if money wasn't a consideration and you could do whatever the fuck you wanted, what, what would you make? That's Avatar
1: might- meets Geely. No, that's not my dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> if i had if i had all the money and uh i i would love look my goal it's probably easier this way because uh, dream projects I, every day when i make a movie it's a dream uh, i'm grateful uh-huh. um my the other question people always ask me is what is your favorite project that you've done i mean i've done I, i've done 19 films as in my career Uh, 26 projects total in my life each one of them to me is like a child you know there's something good even the ones that i don't talk about there's something great about what happened making that movie because it's kind of like a an album a record a musician every album is a snapshot of his life during that particular what he's feeling what he's going through same thing with our films Every script that I write, there's always something of me inside it, whether it's a female or male. I guess my my goal would be down the road, long after I'm gone. Film schools will dissect my movies and talk about my work and to the kids and say, "Oh, what do you think Churchill was thinking when he shot this scene?" <laughs> and you know, somebody would say, "Raised hand, he had no fucking money, so he used whatever." he <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I just think, you know, that's my ultimate goal. If I can teach others about a path that I took or a certain way that I can go, or what's a better route, you know, because not everything has to be traditional. You know, people like, well, oh, oh, there's a process. Yeah, there's a process, but there's always a process that's on top of that process. So there's always somebody out there that's going to make something better for the next person. And I hope my my goal, my life is... Whatever I'm doing, maybe it'll open up more doors for other filmmakers to come in to understand. Because it is hard work, but it's not far-fetched. It's not something like when I was a kid, I got taught. That's a pipe dream. I mean, go to work, go to school. Uh, You'll never be able to. Because it didn't exist for us. The opportunities weren't there for us. We, We didn't have... 4k cameras in our phone and editing software in our phone we didn't even have phones it's like unattainable
0: that. when you come from working class it really is it's just like this because everybody you see are people who clearly came from money back then right. and i love that it's become more democratized where everybody could get a piece of this like the, right. the, the
1: prosumer market like the prosumer right. every market. every laptop every computer you buy has editing software mm-hmm. we didn't have that i didn't have any of that so With my new project, well, one of the new projects, Chinatown and Chinatown, I already digitized. So I got from 87, 88, 89, 90. And then I got other stuff from early, mid-90s and then early 2000s. And that's all been digitized already. You're going to see me age 30 years without any effects that's so, fantastic
0: so is this like this is a legacy sequel of sorts or like uh um,
1: it could or... be it could be considered a legacy sequel or a uh a reboot okay if kind of like from dust to, not from dust to dawn um you had el mariachi and then you had desperado desperado so, sort
0: of like a reboot sequel thing
1: yes if you've never seen el mariachi it's a it's a it's a new movie yes if you've seen el mariachi desperado is kind of like a little reboot sequel yeah you know you see a little bit of so evil with, dead
0: too even good a better example like right. yeah.
1: with our film it, it's kind of like uh it'll have an edge to it kind of like uh year of the dragon meets black rain with a little bit of sharky's machine in it oh uh, those are i mean okay this is
0: the third time talking to you the Sharky machines come up how fucking great is sharky machine dude
1: that's one
0: of that's to me, the top three Burt Reynolds movies. Underrated. Yeah. Grossly underrated. Like, I remember, like, I was, like, reading up on it recently. It was, like, kind of trashed by yep. critics by the, at the time, which is, like, do you see the same movie I just watched? Like, right. Henry Silva just passed. And that, that was the first thing I thought of was how great he is in that movie.
1: I remember seeing the, uh, when I was a kid, my brother took me to see that. Uh, but I remember they did a whole uh, there used to be a TV show called, I know you already noticed, but I have to say it as well. They used to have a TV show called uh, That's Incredible. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm John Davidson. Oh, I'm my Fred God. Lockett. I'm Kathy Lee Crosby. And they did this whole sequence about the stunt from Henry Silva's stunt at the end of the film. That, That's know- a
0: famous stunt.
1: Like they, oh,
0: like they That always made its way into like best stunt montages. That is an insane stunt
1: even to this day. Even in the Fall Guy, they showed you a little bit of uh, of that stunt too. They're remaking Fall Guy. Are they? Yeah, with uh, I believe Ryan Gosling is playing the Lee Majors role.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know what to say. It's like, all right, do that. I guess he's not a
1: bad actor. No,
0: I didn't see
1: him as Lee Majors. Oh. For a while, Mark Wahlberg had the rights to do Shockey's Machine. He was going to remake Shockey's Machine, but I couldn't see him playing Shockey. You You can't make
0: that movie again. It really is a product of the early 80s and of Burt Reynolds in that time of his career when he was trying to redefine himself. Because, you know, like the year before he like screwed up, like he'd made the worst career decision ever before that, where James L. Brooks wrote the Jack Nicholson role for Terms of Endearment for him, and he would not take it. And he was just like, nah, it's not for me. I'd rather like just hang out with my buddies and Hal Needham and just make another, which, listen, I love those movies. And it's imagine how different his career goes if he takes the Terms of Endearment role.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of also how Tom Selleck would have been if he was actually saying, you know I want to play Indiana Jones. Oh. Well, Eddie uh, Stallone as Axel Foley uh, for freaking Beverly Hills Cop.
0: That's so bizarre when you when you realize that that was a Stallone movie, and you can almost see it, and especially in the first half where it's a little drier until right. he gets
1: to Beverly Hills, like, I could see this almost being a Sylvester Stallone movie? yeah, so he takes he takes the character and some of the story because he had first right of refusal, so he takes the character and some of the story and he brings it to i guess it was it was uh it was Axel Cobretti was the actual original no podcast. way. And he'd take it and he brought it to uh, Warner Brothers and he started making Cobra. But he also borrowed from a book called Fair Game, mm-hmm. which Cobra was based on. Which also he got
0: is- remade a couple times as Fair Game though, uh, with uh, Billy Baldwin and Cindy Crawford. I had That's no great. idea that was the same source material. But if you recently. watch
1: both of those movies, it's the
0: same, it's the same movie.
1: movie, just like there's another thing that's going to blow your mind, but I'm sure you already noticed. When they were doing Die Hard, okay, it was based on a book that the the detective was based on. So Frank Sinatra, I know what you're about writer, to say. I know he exactly. had the rights for the detective, and they said, you know, you have. They had to ask him, and in his 80s, do you want to play this character? You know, uh, and he said no. So they actually also took the same book and was part of the Towering Inferno. So if you watch The Towering Inferno, it's diehard, but Mm -hmm. with a fire instead of terrorists. So they tried to remake that book a few times. But once they actually added it to be a cop, then they had to go. They were like, oh, man, we got to go talk to Frank Sinatra. What do you mean? Well, he's got the rights to the cop. You know, just like Jack Nicholson. This guy made a fortune off of Batman. It's
0: it's insane
1: what he made. Until... They realized when they were doing the Christopher Nolan movies and they were like, wait, why do we have to pay Jack Nicholson? They decided to break ties and call it the dark Knight because they were paying him for Batman begins. And he's like, he's not, we haven't worked with Jack since the eighties. Are
0: you serious? He put that into the deal.
1: It was, they were paying him anything because they, what he got for pay uh, which is a lot of money. But he also saw what what they were going to make. So he said he wants something, anything that has to do with Batman, which is toys. And, and they signed off. And he was making money, making money, making... <laughs> and then, you know, here we are. You know, the other Batman movies, the, the, the Batman with the nipple-written things, the Batman Forever, Batman whatever. <laughs> He's still making money. And then we do Batman Begins. Still making money until one of the accountants said, wait, why are we sending a check to Jack Nicholson? So they had a... Clear that headache. So the next movie came out was The Dark Knight. Wow. Then the Dark Knight Rises. They already cleared it up. That's why they were able to use again the Batman. Mm-hmm. Because he's done. We took care of him. We paid him off. He's done. But imagine that, and then nobody it just kept falling into crack like years later, and nobody uh I mean, I would have loved to have seen going back talking about Batman, I would have loved to see the Tim Burton version. Of what he was going to do with the third entry. Yeah, He's, you
0: always hear about that, and it's it's a shame he it, he walked away. Cause that's it sounds they didn't really. Walk away, interesting. They forced him. They forced him. <laughs> yeah, they didn't <laughs> like uh, Batman Returns. They felt it was too dark, too McDonald's,
1: grim. McDonald's McDonald's uh, complained to the studio that they couldn't sell Happy Meals. Uh, <laughs> it's not a
0: happy movie,
1: <laughs> right? They couldn't sell Happy Meals with Batman Returns, and they lost money, so they said something drastic has to be done. So, they kept Tim Burton on as a, a creator and executive producer, and they were bringing a new director. And then when the director came in, it was uh, Schumacher. Uh, Schumacher, who doesn't get along with Michael Keaton. So, Michael Keaton quit. Uh, so, when he quit, Robin oh. Williams was attached also to play the Riddler. So, he left.
0: Good. And Batman and Robin.
1: Oh, that was awful.
0: I have a perverse love of those movies. Uh, they're, they're terrible.
1: Heels Cop 3 awful but i have (laughs) to watch it like a trade wreck
0: yeah that's because uh if you ever hear i watched a really great three hour i think it was a kevin pollock it was like a three down three hour sit down interview with landis and he's talking about what happened with beverly hills cop three and it was just like it was just all about how eddie murphy was seeing what wesley Snipes. he's like what happened was passenger 57 eddie murphy sees wesley snipes being a huge action star he's like i want a piece of that pie it's like why i'm done with comedy and uh, so he's like the only jokes I was able to get in was the ones we I had to trick him to like actually be funny in this movie because he just had he wanted no part of a comedy. He really wanted to make this a serious action film. And you could see that conflict in the film. It's just like where are the joke. It's not even that it's bad. It's like, where's the jokes? It's like a comedy without the jokes. But Speaking of the Hills Cop, Marty Brest, who did that, also did one of your buddy, Car- S Carmine, he'll chew your ear off. What are we night friends? Run? yeah
1: What are we friends? <laughs> oh I love Marvin Lookout. Yeah. Uh, and, and John that's uh uh what's it? John Ashton. That's tag yeah. I mean yeah, was, I love him. He's so amazing in that. So the fact that
0: his real name's Mosley. I'm Mosley.
1: But uh, uh, the fact that Netflix, okay, so coming to America too, he gets a little bit of uh Clout, he gets to do Donamite, uh, which was Netflix. really good. I yes. really
0: enjoyed that a lot because I'm a big fan of Rudy little, Gray.
1: Gave him a little bit of uh, you know, this is what I want to do, and then him deciding that because they were supposed to do a Beverly Hills Cop series,
0: yeah, that's was, been like been threatened for a long time. Then they, then it became four again. So I don't know what they're doing,
1: and it was then they were gonna do another one, then it didn't, then it was, and then they were waiting on a script, and it was just talk, talk, talk. But what happened is. They just wrapped Beverly Hills Cop Four. Is it? Wow! Uh, It's made for Netflix. It has Ready Buckheimer came back. Wow! Um, Eddie's back. Uh, Obviously, uh, Ashton's in. John Ashton's in. Uh, Everybody is the judge in.
0: Uh, Who is the judge? Is the judge going to be there? Judge Reinhold. He's in it. We need the judge.
1: Um, They added new character, new actors as well. Judge Reinhold's in it uh bronson pinchos in it paul rises in it so it's it it feels like it's not
0: sexy that's animal yeah
1: yeah <laughs> well, of course you want the uh, lemon twist uh <laughs> i mean there's so many great people in the original i mean even uh damon waynes is in it yeah you know, the guy oh not one scene
0: bananas. right yeah the guy who sells bananas damon waynes yeah yeah oh well sir this has been great. I could talk this kind of stuff all day, but it is so we'll do Thanksgiving. more shows together. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we definitely got to have you back on because this is like we were just getting into the stuff I really like talking about. This kind of stuff. Damn. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. This was great. This is, I wanted to. I we had didn't to even talk industry. about canon and Charlie Bronson, dude. that's next time that's all dude that's unless you want another four hours on the clock we we gotta save that for another time definitely uh anything to promote today you know scum of the earth is a great podcast uh,
1: (laughs) no i mean for you your products (laughs) uh yeah you know people should uh maybe have a thomas churchill marathon and watch the films that are on uh streaming or cable or uh, if people want to know more about me, they can go to my Instagram at uh, Thomas underscore J underscore Churchill. Uh, Facebook, it's Thomas Churchill. Twitter, it's Thomas Churchill. And, uh, my website, dot com.
0: And you got some sweet merch on,
1: I see, that, uh,
0: you could probably oh, pick up yeah. at the store.
1: I actually had face masks made with churchill productions i didn't know how long we were going to sit in that pandemic shit oh, uh, that's got... the only thing we got
0: to get into next time is like how much did that slow you down to like because you're you're a guy who you're a shark you're always moving so we it's just six like
1: films, six films during the pandemic
0: god bless you sir <laughs>